Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, you're worthy to be praised. I worship you. Okay, welcome. Today I want to talk about not taking the Bible at face value. Mm, I don't know, Jordan. That sounds pretty controversial. I know, I know, but I have something different in mind, Andy. I want to take a verse we've all read before and really examine it closely. For this study, I chose one from 2 Thessalonians. It says, those who do not know God will be punished with everlasting destruction. So what is the assumption when reading that verse? Well, I'd have to say that most would assume it's talking about eternal damnation in the lake of fire. Right. But the other day when I read that passage, I paused on the word everlasting because we've seen this word before and it doesn't always refer to eternal judgment. So I went deeper, and that led to today's lesson. So let's do this. I'm Jordan Pine. And I'm Andy Balog. Please open your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians as we get ready for another 20-minute Bible study. A reading from 2 Thessalonians, this time in the New International Version, beginning in chapter 1, verse 5. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled, and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. That was 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 5 to 10. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Now, astute listeners may have noticed that we use the New International Version of the Bible today, the NIV. So let's talk about that. People often ask what version of the Bible we use because many have their preferences and their favorites. In fact, we just posted a great article on Facebook and Twitter that argues against the King James only movement. But like everyone, we here at 20MBS have our own preferences. And you know, I grew up reading and memorizing the NIV. But Andy and I agree that the most accurate and precise translation is the New American Standard Bible, or NASB. Today, I tend to favor the New Living Translation, or NLT, because I find it to be the most readable. But for 20MBS, we sometimes switch between these and even other translations because a particular one may have certain words or phrases that are relevant to our study. And that's the case today, and we'll see why in a moment. But first, we have to go to SPACE. SPACE is an acronym that reminds us to identify the S, P, A, and C, the speaker, audience, and context, before attempting an E or explanation. 
Andy, what can you tell us about today's passage? Well, the speaker or speakers and audience are listed in verse one of this letter. We see that Paul, Silas, or Silvanus in Latin, so Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians is written. Thessalonica was the capital of the Roman province of Macedonia. And on Paul's second missionary journey, he visited the city's chief synagogue on three different Sabbaths and sowed the seeds for its first Christian church. Yeah, and the city still exists today. It's actually the second largest city in Greece, and they call it Thessaloniki. The context is also in the opening of this letter. So we see Paul, Silas, and Timothy are praising this church for their maturity, for their growing faith, and of course, for their love for God and this extreme love, this bond that they have for each other. And they also write, quote, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance in your faith in all the persecutions and trials that you are enduring, end quote. In other words, This church here was a model church well on its way to earning God's favor by standing up against the world that was very hostile toward them, this new religion of Jesus followers known as Christianity. So that's the SPAC, and now we're ready to get into the E or explanation. Let's listen again to 2 Thessalonians, starting in verse 5. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. As per Paul's letter, the Thessalonians were enduring persecution. Surely this included ridicule, prejudice, and most likely even physical harm. Obviously, news got back to Paul about their perseverance. He was proud of them. And Paul mentions in his letter that God was obviously keeping track of all their hardships. He mentions the important phrase, counted worthy of the kingdom of God. This is just an indicator that they were well on their way to one day receiving the reward to be chosen to enter Jesus's millennial kingdom. Now, keep in mind, never forget, we cannot earn our salvation, for that is by grace and not by works. So the context here is different. Instead, Paul is encouraging them about the future reward, which must be earned. Keep in mind, everlasting life is a gift, whereas the thousand-year kingdom age is a prize. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. Paul is making them a promise here that God will one day punish their enemies. You remember what Paul said in Romans 12, 19, and I'll read it. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. And on the other hand, Paul promises that God will provide relief to them who are suffering for their faithfulness. Our Lord Jesus Christ tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 to 12, and we, we, I'm sure we know these verses. We remember these verses, and they apply right here. Jesus said, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. So, Jordan, we see here that Scripture teaches us that God is tracking all of our situations. 
Only he knows exactly what we go through in our daily lives as we fight the good fight for Christianity. Now, getting back to verse 6 here, it's important to keep in mind that Paul met this punishment and relief will happen at a future time. Like the verse says, it will be when, quote, the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. Now, we know this to be at his second coming right after the Bemacy judgment and the commencement, the beginning of his millennial kingdom, not to be confused with the great white throne judgment. That judgment occurs after the thousand-year millennial kingdom age is complete. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Now we get to the meat of our study. We'll get into an interpretation soon, but this is more about our approach to the Bible and our Bible studies than about this specific passage. We want you to conduct a deep examination with us in order to learn to be critical of what you hear and read, even if you're reading your favorite translation of the Bible, like we talked about earlier. And that brings me to what I learned when I looked more closely at these verses. Let's listen to verse 9 in the New Living Translation. Our guest reader today is Matthew. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. They will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from His glorious power. So the phrase punished with everlasting destruction becomes punished with eternal destruction. And the translators make shut out from the presence of the Lord read forever separated from the Lord. The NLT authors clearly believe these verses are talking about the final judgment of the lost in the lake of fire. But let's see what the verse literally says in the original text. It's in Greek, but I'll read the literal English translation and highlight a few of the key words. By the way, anyone can do this for themselves with any verse or passage using a tool called an interlinear Bible. Interlinear just means between the lines. And you've heard the expression, read between the lines? Well, that's what an interlinear Bible is. It's a way to do exactly that. You can read the English translation between the lines of the Greek text is what I'm trying to say. Mostly, I use the Blue Letter Bible, which is a very useful online resource for Bible students. You can just click in and it shows you the Greek words and then the literal English translations from a source called Strong's which is the gold standard, by the way. Okay, so back to the verse. In the order we would say it, the verse reads, These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Notice there's no word forever that was added, again, for emphasis. Also notice away from the presence. Now again, the lake of fire can be described as eternal separation from God, sure. But away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power doesn't quite have that meaning to me. The word Lord here is also noteworthy as it is the title given to the Messiah and the title Jesus was called throughout the New Testament. So given the previous verse, this suggests to me that this verse is talking about the millennial kingdom of Christ Jesus. But what about this phrase eternal destruction? Doesn't that mean destruction forever? Not exactly. The word translated eternal in the New Living Translation and other translations is translated everlasting in the NIV, 
which is why I chose the NIV for today. I want to drill down on the first part of everlasting, that word ever. Is that in the original Greek? Again, does it mean forever lasting? No, it literally means age lasting, and an age is a period of time. But wait, we're not really Greek scholars. We just play them on radio and on this podcast. How can we know that's the right translation, Andy? Yeah, Jordan, that's a great question. And let me start by saying that as Bible teachers or if you're a Bible student, a good point to recall in your studies is that we can always use Scripture to interpret Scripture. Now, the word used here in 2 Thessalonians is actually the adjective form of a word that is used throughout the Gospels. And we can look at this like this. If the word everlasting is the adjective, we want to see where else that, that base word ever out of everlasting, appears in the Bible and how it was translated. So when we do that, we see that the word ever is actually translated into the word age in many other places. For example, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus warns his disciples that whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And the words there are, Jesus says, in this age, or in the age to come. Now, that word age is the word translated ever in the word everlasting. And notice that's two different evers mentioned, this age and the age to come. Those are two different periods of time, two different ages. Another example is Matthew 24, where Jesus prophesies in the temple, and he says, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. And the disciples reply to him, tell us, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So that's the same word there. That's the same word translated ever in our study verse, 2 Thessalonians chapter 9. Thanks, Andy. So the scripture tells us the meaning of this word is what we might call a dispensation, a period of time in God's plan for man, such as the church age, which is the age that we're in or the kingdom age, which is the thousand-year age to come. I think that's also why a key verse about the lake of fire is written the way that it is. In the Revelation, John, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants to communicate that the lake of fire is truly forever. If the phrase from today really meant eternal or everlasting destruction in that sense, he might have just used that word and left it at that. But he didn't. Speaking of the final judgment of the unholy trinity, that is, the devil, the beast, and the false prophet, John writes in Revelation 20, they will be tormented day and night forever and ever, literally for ages and ages or for age after age. Yeah, Jordan, an extremely important point. I really like that. Age after age and for ages and ages. So technically what we're saying is that you know, everlasting or eternal is the word age. But in the Greek, for us to understand that forever without end would be age upon age upon age upon age. So in other words, there's more scriptural support for the argument that everlasting should really be translated age lasting and refers to a set period of time and most likely the kingdom age here, that thousand year kingdom age. But now what about this word destruction, Jordan? To our ears, that word implies complete obliteration. 
Yeah, great point. I ran that word down in the Greek as well, and it appears four different times. The most interesting place is in 1 Timothy. Reading now from verse 9 of 1 Timothy, Paul writes, People who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Now, you'd think the word destruction in that verse is the same word that we find in 2 Thessalonians, but it's not. Instead, it's the word translated ruin here. So eternal destruction could more literally be translated age-lasting ruin. Okay, but why does Paul use the word ruin and destruction? Two different words. What, what, what's the difference? What are we missing here? Yeah, so for that, we'd have to consult a Greek language expert to be sure, but my online Bible tool is suggesting that the word Paul didn't use in 2 Thessalonians is the one that could be translated eternal misery in hell, for example, while the word he did use has more of the sense of the death of the flesh or the body. To me, this suggests Paul is referring to the time when Jesus will destroy the bodies of the unrighteous and send their soul to a place far outside the kingdom. But it's not talking about the final judgment, at least not yet. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. Okay, so the words on the day he comes to be glorified is specifically speaking of the day that Jesus finally comes upon the earth to establish his throne as king of the Jews for a thousand years. Interesting to note, though, how Paul describes that Jesus will be glorified in his people, in his people, meaning Christians who earn the right to come back with Jesus will be glorified as well, thus bringing him glory in return. That's cool. And then Paul confirms that this included the faithfully persevering Thessalonians because they believed in Paul's testimony. And it's obvious that our study verses today are speaking of Jesus's millennial kingdom. In verse 5, we saw that the Thessalonians are told that they will be found worthy of the kingdom for which they are suffering. So to that point, we cannot suffer or work for our salvation. Jesus did all of that by himself, and that was freely given to us. Now, in verse 7, we saw that the Thessalonians were promised relief from all their sufferings when Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his angels. And Revelation teaches us that this second coming of Christ happens after the seven years of tribulation and exactly when the thousand-year kingdom begins. So it's just like that perfect line, that separating line. And then in verse 8, we read how Jesus will be handing out retribution at this specific time period, especially detailing those who disobey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. In verse 9, we found out that that these disobeyers will pay the penalty of being separated for an age, and that age is that thousand years of not being allowed into the millennial kingdom and being separated from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So, Jordan, in other words, they will not be allowed to return with Christ Jesus and share in the glory of his millennial kingdom. No, they'll still be in the third heaven. And on the flip side, verse 10 tells us that he will glorify himself in those believers who were worthy to come back with him on that special day. Okay, great recap. So what's the point of all this? 
Today we read that God will pay back trouble to those who trouble the church and that he will punish those who do not know God. Well, Jordan, remembering the sea and space, which is the context, this clearly suggests Paul is talking about the unsaved, those who are persecuting the Thessalonian church, causing them suffering, which he mentions at the beginning of this letter. Right, and then Paul talks about Jesus coming in blazing fire with his powerful angels and judging them with age-lasting ruin. Any way you read it, it's about the unsaved and their fate. So what does it have to do with us? Well, we should notice a few things. One, there are actually two groups mentioned in verse 8, those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And that's an interesting distinction. It could mean Paul was talking about Gentile and Jewish persecutors, perhaps even those who had infiltrated the church as Judaizers, those who were trying to reinstitute the law among believers. The reason I say that is because you need to know God to obey God. The Greek and Roman pagans did not know God, but the Jews knew God and did not obey the gospel or good news because they rejected their Messiah. There's also a tense thing going on here in the Greek. It seems that no is in the perfect tense, which means completed once and for all, and obey is in the present tense, which is an ongoing thing. So in other words, the second group could be those who continue to not obey the gospel, which could mean they continue to reject the good news that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. Could that be unbelieving Jews who were never saved? This is where it gets tricky. Remember, The Jews were saved on the layaway plan, as Pastor Whipple used to say. They knew God, followed his laws, and engaged in practices like sacrifices that look forward to the Messiah. In this way, they believed forward in the Messiah. They were saved as a nation before salvation became an individual act of faith without works, lest anyone should boast. They were saved under the law before there was salvation by grace. And also at this time in the Thessalonian church that began in a synagogue, God's plan was still unfolding as the Gentiles were being adopted as children of the promises that were made to Israel. Another key thing to keep in mind, the words blazing fire is about Christ's judgment of the earth. Paul's prophecy here is about the second coming and the millennial kingdom. It's not about the time after the millennium, after the thousand years, when the lost are judged at the great white throne. So putting it all together... I think this could also be taken as a warning to Christians today who, like the Jews of the first century, are no longer really obeying the good news in that sense. We can't lose our salvation, of course, and we will not face the judgment that will come upon those who do not know God. But we know from studying other scriptures that we can face the judgment that will come to those who do not obey and fall into apostasy. Instead of being included when our Savior and King is glorified in his holy people. Such apostates will experience age-lasting ruin as they're shut out from the presence of the Lord and his glory for a thousand years. So for us, the message can be remembering the good news that Christ is the Messiah, which means he is our king and he is coming soon and acting accordingly. In other words, let's not become complacent and automatically assume that we are worthy of praise as some of the Thessalonians were. Let's not be like the Jewish apostates of Paul's day, people who knew God but did not obey his son and not obeying his word. Let each person examine himself or herself today and repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That's 20 minutes, and that's our lesson.
Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple. Our music was recorded by the Abundant Life Worship Center. Our sound editor is J.P. Eli. I'm Steve Zioli, and until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Reserved Mysteries of the Kingdom Incorporated.